Hello, all you gracious gorillas. Welcome back to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast about sustainability, conservation, and nature. Um, I'm, I'm one of your hosts, Casey. And I am Sarah. Welcome back, everybody. How are you doing, Sarah? How's your week been? It's been good. Um, my plant update for you. I was just looking at my native plants outside the window. The coneflowers do appear to still be alive, but the weeds are just taking over. So we did have a little rainfall this week. We did, which was good because I do think that I forgot to water them. for a day or maybe two, maybe, I don't know, but I, it's, it is my weekend. So I do believe I will be spending some of my weekend weeding. My dog is barking at nothing at the Hi, other Marie. end of the house. I'm not sure if you can hear him. I have no idea what he's barking at, but, uh, cause the cat's sitting right here on the table with me. So that that's my plant update. That might be all, all I've got for the week. What about you, Casey? Oh, it's a very, very busy week. Figuring out stuff with my finger. Yeah. It's Memorial day weekend. So we're doing a lot of stuff with work. So I am just happy to be here with you. Uh, yes, uh, same. It's special, right? It is. Yeah. That's what I was just about to say. Murray's very excited about this as well. Uh, We're excited because it's our 10th episode. Happy 10th episode. Do you want to? Tell us what your friend calls yes. a little greener. Yes. yes, I do, but I do actually need to go see what my Okay, yes, 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 yes. So update, not actually on the other side of the house, literally in the living room, which is right in front of me. Cool. Laying on the couch, barking at nothing. So he's just really excited. He's really excited about our 10th episode, I think, and just... He just wanted to participate. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's the 10th episode of A Little Greener. And I'm very excited because we've, <laughs> we've gotten a new nickname that I really like. So my friend, uh, my wonderful friend, Kim, who I've mentioned in the podcast before, was listening and she texted me some things about the podcast and she referred to it just as ALG, typing it out. And then she was like, I just realized that if you go by ALG, it kind of sounds like algae which makes things a little greener. But um, killing it, it Cam. So hard. Excellent. So I will forever in my head now be referring to our podcast as algae. Can our listeners be like lichen or some yes. like duck weeds or so? You are little yes. duck weeds or no, I don't think that's technically an algae. We'll figure it out, oh, yeah, guys. We'll, we'll Let us know what it. you think yeah. of. <laughs> Love it. So 10 episodes in, we've got a new nickname. I feel like we're finding our flow a little bit. We're talking about some maybe new things that we might try coming up uh, with with the podcast here in the next few weeks too. So we are loving it uh, and we're very thankful for those of you that are listening along with us. Yeah. Especially if you're listening for the first time. Hi. Welcome. Episode 10. You're getting us (laughs) 10 episodes in. We're not quite as green, but still... (laughs) Very green, yep. <laughs> a little greener than we would like to be. Ah, ha, ha. Okay. Anyway, uh, don't leave. Really Please keep listening. <laughs> it, has, it has been a long week. It has, I promise. Okay. Anyway, every week we assign our listeners an action that they can do to help out with the conservation topic that we decide to cover or nature topic we decide to cover. And our topic for last week was an episode about beef. And I challenged everybody to come up with a plant-based recipe, um, a new one. And the regular mode is just to make it for yourself. But if you wanted to go beast mode challenge, 
you could make it for your friends and family. And then our bonus challenge brought to you by Sarah is to watch an episode of Wildcrats um, because we love it. So Sarah, how'd you do? I did. I'm in progress right now. I can already tell you that I won't be completing the bonus challenge because I'm a hermit. So uh, I don't know that I'll be preparing anything for my family and friends, but I'm really excited. I mentioned that I do a a food delivery service. And so I get to kind of select groceries every week. So I'm getting my delivery on Saturday. And for this delivery, I selected all of my meals as vegetarian meals. And so I'm trying a few different things. There's a couple of pasta recipes. There's one that's more like a grain bowl type of thing. And one that has tofu. And I've never tried tofu, but I feel like this is the way to do it because it's basically like pre-prepared. So it's going to be easier for me than just buying, do you call it raw tofu? I don't know. I think so. I think you do Um, call it raw tofu. Okay. So, and then me having to figure out how to prepare it. So that's coming. That's arriving for me here in a couple of days. And I'm excited to report back how that goes. And then, of course, I did my bonus episode. <laughs> I actually uh, watched a, a Wild Kratz episode in preparation for this week's topic. So there we go. You did send me that picture. Yes. <laughs> You're doing it. So you guys, will, I, you know what the episode's about. But yes, you, you've seen the title. Yeah. Yes. That. Yep. Um, spoilers. I cooked a new recipe. So I love cooking. And I had a can of chickpeas that I was like, I'm going to use these and have never used them. I've had them for like a month. So I found a recipe to make it. It was actually the first one on a list of recipes for chickpeas. Um, so it came to us from the clever meal, I believe is what the recipe website's called. I'll definitely link them in anything that we, we show you guys, but uh, I made a garlicky chickpea soup and mm-hmm. it's basically vegetable broth, two cans of chickpeas, a potato, a bunch of garlic, and then things like thyme and rosemary and salt and pepper and things like that. And it was really good. We uh, ate it with a baguette that I got from the grocery store. If I would have been on challenge mode, I would have made the baguette myself, but this is not a challenge (laughs) mode week. Um, And I made it for my fiance and he said it's a make again meal. So I, I liked it. It was good. We had leftovers and everything. So I was feeling it was yummy. Yeah, that's great. Oh, wow. So you got a new one to add to your rotation. Yes. Hi, <laughs> Our mascots are just making themselves known today. Episode you 10. all, you all can't see it, but, but Casey's basically got a cat rubbing on her face right now. So. Yeah. I put on chapstick. That's my bad. <laughs> now it smells too good. So, so yeah, I'm thanks to everybody who, uh, who participated. And if you haven't ch- uh, tagged us yet, tag us in your challenges. Yeah. Take a, take a food pick, be yes. that person that takes Foodie. the food pick. I always post food pictures <laughs> You do, and yes. I hate, I hate cooking. So there's no, I just get really proud of myself whenever I make anything. So I have to share it. What's another interesting thing about this challenge that it sort of made me do is I was looking at the protein content of, of all of these meals, you know, because that is something that people will talk about. If you're cutting out beef, you do have to or if you're cutting out down on meat, you have to be aware of, of protein. And I think there are a lot of other great, you know, plant-based proteins now that you can build your meals with. And that came to mind when you mentioned chickpeas, because that's one of the things that I've discovered here in recent months is that chickpea pasta 
So you oh. can have these pasta meals that get you a little more protein in yeah. them. And I think they taste fine. There's maybe a little bit of a difference in texture than, than regular pasta, but I've found them to be very good. So I really liked this challenge and I'm excited to try my recipes. Also many review the fact that chickpeas are also called garbanzo beans is really fun. So maybe where you're from, they call them garbanzo <laughs> beans, but I made a meal with garbanzo beans. That's just, it's sounds fun. And chickpea sounds cute and garbanzo yes. beans sounds a little fancy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right. Yeah. So definitely share what you made tag us in those posts. We'd love to, to hear from you and to get some meal ideas for you as well. So we can all have better plant-based meals. So Casey, my question for you this week is I'm curious about what your favorite or your coolest animal encounter that you've ever had or animal sighting that you've had out in the wild. Anything, maybe something while you were herping. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, I was thinking about it because I saw our, our outline and I'm glad I got to think about it because I wouldn't <laughs> have had a good answer. And, and honestly, I, I think I'm someone who maybe isn't super excited by a lot of super native wildlife just because I feel like I did, I was blessed to see lots of native wildlife growing up. And so I'm like, yeah, that's today. I saw a baby raccoon and that was really adorable, sure um, but did. I have seen baby true raccoons story, before. Guys. True we story. Did. We, we helped rescue one, but I, I was thinking about when, uh, the two, two ones that come to mind, I I've been to other countries, but I've only really been in urban areas of other countries for the most part. So I haven't seen a lot of wildlife, but, uh, probably ocean creatures are the coolest things that I've seen. So when I went down to Hawaii, my good friend, Abby, hi, Abby took me down to Hawaii, uh, one time during spring break in college. And it was an amazing, incredible trip. And we got to go snorkeling. I am not a good snorkeler guys. I am a little, I don't like that. You can't see around you. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. I'm swimming in water where everything's faster and better at it than I am. So I'm not like huge about that. Um, but I did get to see a green sea turtle. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, or I shouldn't say it was a sea turtle. I, it was green, but I don't know <laughs> if it was a green sea turtle. <laughs> I don't know if I can think that far back. And then uh, we also had bottlenose dolphins who were following the catamaran we were on. Uh, the other one that I think of is I got to go whale watching a couple years ago with my, my dad took us out to California and we saw, we were looking for the whales and we see this, these white-sided Pacific dolphins and they're like dumping out of the water. And our tour guide was like, yeah, these guys are a little bit voyeurs. They like to watch them the whales when they're mating. Um, and I was like, um, aren't we kind of voyeurs too? Because we're just watching the dolphins watch the whales. <laughs> like, How dare we judge those dolphins? Well, that's exactly why we're here. So I got to see whales too, which was really, really amazing. So I think the ocean stuff is probably the coolest stuff. Obviously these were like, I set out to see wildlife in both these cases. So they were very deliberate, uh -huh. um, but I, I definitely really in, enjoyed that. I've, I've got to see some cool things at some national parks out West as well, but those are probably the ones just because they were so out of the ordinary and not related to anything you see normally that it was exciting. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> I feel really, really lucky. Boy. Um, yeah. A, a, a quick privileged check that, yes, I am aware that I'm super blessed to be able to go to other places. So um, 
So, but I hope that other people get that opportunity to see. Some yes. Cool no, that's yeah. so cool. Thanks for sharing. Except now I feel like my coolest encounters aren't that What's cool your cool callers? No, show me. No, 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 no. I, I have had some really cool ones, I, but I am somebody that I think does get more excited just generally i mean you heard how excited i got about the owl the other week like i just that's pretty exciting i I really do sort of just get excited about native things that i don't necessarily get to see every day in in particular so i mean i've had a, a, a few several that i can think of when i was living in florida I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff down there, although I never got to see a bear and I never got to see a Florida panther and I'm kind of bitter about it. But, <laughs> did you get uh, to see manatees? I did. Well, okay. Yes. Oh, no. no, I did. I did get to see manatees. I just didn't get a great view. Like, I mean, is there a great we, view of a manatee? Yes, people do. You, there <laughs> are some, and like there are some times of year where you can go and like you can see a whole bunch of them together. We went and for a long time, we were staring at it because we couldn't tell if it was a manatee or a log floating. In the so that's the kind of view we had, but we're pretty sure it was a manatee. Um, <laughs> uh, but I did get excited. I mean, I got excited when I saw alligators in Florida. So, you know, that's just, I just enjoy seeing those things. Um, there was a, one time I got to see a bobcat. I, I'm, I'm a mammal really cool. person, but you know, yeah, again, yeah. cause I was just at a wildlife refuge. I was driving through and I stopped the car and got, gotten out and was looking at some birds and stuff. And literally just Bobcat went running across the road right there. I was like, Oh, Hey, <laughs> look at you, um, out here during the day. So, um, that was cool. I remember seeing roseate spoonbills fly over one time while I was just sitting outside eating, eating my lunch. And so that was fun, but I truly, and I mean, this is obviously an episode about bats, so you can imagine bats are going to tie in, but truly this has been one of the most just delightful things for me is that where I live right now um, in Indiana here in my backyard, I can sit out and watch bats in the summertime. And so I've been living here for a, a couple of years now. And the first day that I saw bat. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was like, that, was that what I thought it was? You know, when you're just seeing these little things swooping through the air so quickly. And I just, I mean, probably for the next two weeks, I just went out every single night to just sit out and watch these bats fly around um, as the sun was going down. And there's just, there's just something about bats. It's just, I don't know. It's almost like peaceful or soothing for me to sit out and watch them, which uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about uh, about that as we go uh, through through the episode tonight. But that's been one of my favorite things that I've ever seen in nature. I think like the through line that I'm seeing and some of the ones we're getting really excited about uh, the birds aside, if you're a birder, guys, you can open up your eyes to like all sorts of things that are mm-hmm. around you. I'm just not noticing them because I'm not a birder. <laughs> But I feel like in those, those moments, we're getting kind of an eye into a secret world. Like, Mm -hmm. like the ocean is something that Mm -hmm. a lot of us aren't exposed to a lot of the times. Um, a bobcat has, is just like inherently stealthy and is elusive. We don't Mm -hmm. know a lot about like how they live their daily lives necessarily as lay people. And then bats it's, it's at night, that's their Mm -hmm. element and we get to watch them there. So that's, that's a great point. Bats are pretty cool. And we're going to learn more about them in like just a minute. But first, we're going to get a review from Casey. So stick around for that and then more about that. 
right, everybody, welcome back to the review segment of our episode. Today, I'm going to be reviewing another book. I read a book almost. I'm going to confess, I got about 10 pages left, but it's not going to influence, I think, the direction of my review, unless there's, wow, spoilers, there could be something big happening in the end. But it's Soul of an Octopus. It's not super plot driven. Um, Soul of an Octopus is by Cy Montgomery, um, who's a naturalist, and uh, she spent time trying to get to know the world of octopuses. It's not, I know it's technically not octopi. I know there's lots of options. If there, you say octop- there are opinions, yes. There are opinions. If you say <laughs> octopi in my presence, I won't blink an eye. I don't think it matters, but linguistically. Can I just, can I interrupt it. you with a yes. really quick story? Because this is the thing that I just have to say where in my previous job, we, in part of the training that we would do for our new hires, there, there was a section where we were basically talking about biodiversity and introducing different groups of animals and that sort of thing. And I had to do a section where that that octopus was part of it. And I would do like a little word dance to try to avoid ever having to say the plural. (laughs) Because I knew someone would call me out on it no matter what I said. So, and they still called me out on it anyway. Like I literally got asked, what's the plural of octopus? And I was like, okay. (laughs) I will say if you are a fellow environmental educator out there, who is like listening to this podcast, uh, my advice is do not correct people on their grammar unless it's extremely important because that's a great way to alienate an audience. Mm-hmm. But no, we're talking about octopus, octopodes, octopi, octopuses, I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's Soul of an Octopus, basically, Simon Montgomery went out and she spent a lot of time at the New England Aquarium getting to know their octopus there. First, I, I won't even go into all the cool things about octopus because Maybe one day we'll do a episode on them, but man, these are some crazy cool animals and they taste with their little suckers. So they would interact with these octopus by them, you know, holding on to the hands of the people. Uh, I will say, you know, reading it, I, I didn't know where to draw the line between the author's anthropomorphization of the animal and where actually the reality is a weird thing about science is for a kind of dumb amount of time scientists did not think animals had like any sort of consciousness about them which if you spend a lot of time with animals to me seems pretty crazy because they seem to very obviously have some level of that but i think it's very difficult to measure so like the motivations of these octopus the the author does a lot of musings on and and one of her chapters is called consciousness because she's exploring what that means um but one of the the terrible things about octopus is that they only live a couple years max. Um, so she, over the course of not a very long period of time, got to know several of them and, and got to know them from when they were little growing up big, going into the time of senescence, basically at the end of an octopus's life, they show similar signs to, of mental decline that happens in a lot of people. Um, this hits close to home for me because my, my grandmother passed away and she had some cognitive decline and that's, uh, what she ended up ultimately passing away of. So I think it's really interesting to see signs of that in other species. And for mm-hmm. octopus, if they live long enough, that is the inevitable end to their life as they go through this sort of process. And so she went through this process of getting to know these animals and seemingly these animals getting to know her and then going through that, like falling in love, watching them go through their life, fulfilling their purpose basically by, by laying their eggs and then going through the grieving process of, of watching them pass away. 
uh, there's a Netflix documentary called My Octopus Teacher, uh, which I, I got to watch too. And I really enjoyed it. I think that guy is a very lucky man to, <laughs> to, to go on a, a, basically a dive every day. He gets to know an octop- a wild octopus and he gets to see behaviors that no one's ever really seen before. And both of the book and this unrelated documentary are such emotional journeys for these authors connecting with an invertebrate in what seems like the most unlikely source. Like we can see ourselves in gorillas and chimpanzees and orangutans, but to see yourself in an animal that has three hearts and whose neurons are part of their arms, but can also regenerate their arms and all of these like crazy adaptations they have still, they seem to have a lot of these connections to us. And so it was really inspiring to me to try and do some research to, uh, in the future, learn more about what we actually do know from the science perspective about these really incredible animals. But it it was a great little window into the life of an octopus. She also puts in some really great information about the lives of the other fish that are living in the aquarium, as well as the volunteers and the staff members there. We, actually, I was reading the book and I like ran upstairs and was like, Andrew, <laughs> Dr. Charlie's in this. Um, Dr. Charlie went to Madagascar with Andrew and was actually the guy who gave us one of our tortoises. So oh it was gosh. cool to have like a little connection into the book. But That's of course amazing. I was like, of course, it's a tiny world we live in. And of course he's in that. But it, I mean, there's so much out there to make the assumption that animals, especially animals who don't look like us, don't live like very interesting, fascinating Mm -hmm. inner lives and have their own cultures and rituals and like different ways about them. And octopus is a really great way to try and start getting your brain thinking about that. So I recommend this book. I I think it's a really fun read. It's a really fast read. It's a nice little, like you get to know the people around it. It, It's a nice, enjoyable, um, like almost a beach read to a certain extent. Uh, I will say that, like, again, I think that I I had trouble drawing the line between what I was learning and what the author was assuming. But she also talked a lot about cognition um, and then also the concept of souls. Like, this is about the soul of an octopus. What does that mean? Do do the, How do these animals, how are the individuals, how do they experience consciousness? What happens, you know, as as they go throughout their lives? So I enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks, Casey. I I'm really interested in this too, because I had both the book and the documentary have been recommended to me. And I've been a little hesitant about both just because of some of what you just talked about too. I wasn't sure sort of where, what direction they were coming from. And is this an overly anthropomorphic situation or, you you know, so I have some sensitive sensitivity around that. Also, I'm super emotional, so I tend to get very oh, like cry, yeah. things <laughs> like this. So I have to be sort of in the right mood in order to to take them on. But um, but yeah, you've I think you've convinced me that I should try to find a time to experience both. So thanks for your review. Yeah. Also, thank you to Corinne, our friend, for lending it to me. Perhaps she'll lend it to you too. Yeah, I'll have to ask her. <laughs> thanks, Corinne. <laughs> Um, it's a very good book. Corinne's an avid reader and I appreciate that recommendation. So stick around and we'll come back for the main body of the week. Sarah's going to talk to us about bats. All 
right. Welcome back, everyone. So we are going to be talking about bats today. So we, you know, we're a podcast about nature conservation and sustainability. And we know that we've been hitting on some big conservation topics. We've been talking about some issues with sustainability. So today we're, we're focusing on that nature piece. We're definitely going to touch on some conservation issues as we go along, but we, Casey and I have talked about how we do want to make sure that we don't lose sight of just kind of focusing on some of those fun things and why we love animals and why, you know, we get excited about nature. So that's what we're going to be doing tonight. Just want to chat a little bit about an animal that I think is pretty cool and hopefully we can help some other people appreciate it too. So Casey, I've shared a little bit about my experience with bats and the way that I feel about bats. What about, have you had experiences with bats? Have you seen them in the wild? Have you worked with them at all in your career? Do you study anything about them? Any of that stuff? Yeah, I think bats are pretty common in Pennsylvania as far as like seeing them out at night. And my grandparents had a pretty big backyard. So we were able to see them kind of fly over the pond and dip around and try and eat all the bugs. And I had a pretty positive feeling towards them because I don't like mosquitoes very mm -hmm. much. So, so I like that bats have that ecosystem role that they serve, um, at least the species that were around us then. So I, I have very positive experiences with them. I will say I, when I worked at Philadelphia, we have Rodriguez fruit bats, which uh -huh. are a recovering, um, formerly critically endangered species of bat. And that's a, a fruit bat. <laughs> and so the first thing when you walk into the rare animal conservation center is just the overwhelming smell uh, <laughs> of, uh, fermenting fruit because yes. that is what the bats eat. I think they've changed that exhibit since then. And maybe that's not the case anymore, but that's like the first thing you would see is when you came in was that colony and they're really amazing to watch. They're very like fastidious. They would clean themselves. It's amazing to watch them hang upside down. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I particularly like big bats, like flying foxes. Yes. Yeah. They look very cool um, compared to our little, like I don't know, like little teeth bats. Those oh. are little, they're cute, but like they're, they're a different kind of, they feel Halloween-y. I don't know. Do they? Okay. Um, Interesting. I've got yeah. some pictures towards the bottom. Yes. Can you see that, okay, cool, that cool. you'll get to see? I mean, of a few different species. Yeah, that's cool. And that's cool that you, you know, you've experienced your native local bats and then you got to experience this, you know, species that doesn't normally live around us previously too. Cause yeah, I also, I love seeing the big bats. I love seeing the flying foxes. You just, you, appreciate some of those features a little, I mean, they're easier to see, right? Yes, so you yeah. get a, a, an appreciation for some of those features and adaptations that they have. So, so that's cool as well. And, but, and yeah, just very different types of bats. Yeah. You also get to see them generally in like a human care capacity where they're not zipping around where you can't <laughs> even just see them. Mm -hmm. And so it's cool to be able to like watch them be small and still. Yeah. Yeah. So I also did a little bit of social media research prior did, yes. to this episode. I reached out to just through my own, my own personal social media channel to see what the opinions were of folks that I knew about bats. And maybe unsurprisingly, I think I have a little bit of a skewed sample, but I have a very pro bat social group, which is wonderful. These they talk about the political bubble that you all live in, but Sarah lives in a pro bat bubble. <laughs> She's gleaned down her social media yes, to be exclusively pro bat. Right. You must love bats <laughs> in order to be my friend on Instagram. <laughs> so no, I do. I think it is great. And, uh, you know, the, this is 
a group of animals that can get some less than positive attention sometimes. So we'll talk about some of those things as we go along. But I asked for people that were responding to all of my questions on social media, what it is that you like or didn't like about bats and I did not have a single person respond that said that they did not feel fondly towards bats. So the things that made them like bats, some things that were mentioned was just the, the uniqueness of bats as flying mammals, which we'll talk about, just appreciation for their wings, which is kind of what I was getting at when you see those big flying foxes, like you you, you re I don't think, you know, we really stop and think about what bat wings are, and we'll talk a little bit about how they compare to other species, but you, just seeing those huge wings on flying foxes is amazing. Uh, we got some responses that we like bats because they're cute, and I wholeheartedly agree. Again, I... I don't love bats because I knew a whole lot about them, or I mean, even still, you know, after doing research about that, there's so much to learn. Uh, I just, I liked them because I just, I think they're cool and I think they're adorable. And, you know, so I think that is important sometimes for how we feel about animals. I think they're a pretty cute species. Got some comments about echolocation. Obviously that's not the only animals that use echolocation, but it is something they're known for and a pretty cool thing to be able to do. And then also some love for bats because of all of their environmental benefits, which there are many. So we're gonna talk about these things. I have a couple of specific species profiles that I pulled out. We're gonna talk about what we can do to help bats. And then, like I said, my personal circle, <laughs> notwithstanding, we know that there are people out there who feel less less than fond of bats. So we'll, we'll hopefully hit on some misconceptions and hopefully clear some of those things up along the way. So Casey, to start off with, before we talk about what we love about bats, what what, what are bats? How would we describe bats? Ooh, uh, so bats are a group of mammals. Okay. I might be spoiling this early, yeah. but like- a insane percentage of mammals are bats like over a thousand species of bats are out there um so if you like are just like picking from a hat you've got all the species of mammals in there there's like a one in five chance or something that you pull out a bat species it's pretty incredible they're so they're a flying mammal and they are my uncle would probably call them flying rats he's not a huge fan of them <laughs> um but they're not rats they're not rodents at all they thought they were kind of closely related to people at one point so they have these wings that have flaps of skin basically stretched in between different bones and that's how they fly and Yep. That's what I got. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. So they are, you know, like was mentioned as something that people love about bats, they are the only flying mammal, which is pretty awesome. Really? What a title to hold. Also just makes me feel like mammals should, should be on the ground for the most part, <laughs> just playing into my, I thought you were going to say, no one else has gotten in the flying mammal game. Get in there. Oh, guys. Nope. Nope. Don't nope, do stay it. On the ground. Don't do it. That's, <laughs> Bats can continue to have that title. Stay on the ground, people. I don't like flying, uh, but I think it's very cool that bats can do it. So you you know you might have heard about like flying squirrels and things like that. Well, that's technically not really flying. They're gliding squirrels. Let's be honest. They just have a little uh, like membrane uh, between their front and back legs, and so they can basically just jump and 
and glide for a considerable distance is still pretty cool, but they're not actually uh, getting any lift or anything like that. So pretty cool uh, distinction for bats. They, uh, like Casey said, there's a whole lot of diversity in this group as well. So right now, um, I, I will say I used uh, information from uh, Bat Conservation International, which I'll be referring to as BCI throughout this. I love Bat Conservation International. So it's a great conservation organization. Got a lot of information from them. Obviously with some things like species number can be a little different depending on who you ask, but there are probably over 14 hundred different species of bats. They are considered to be the second largest order after rodents. So you can think back to your kingdom phylum class order family genus species that you learned probably at some point in elementary school, maybe. So second largest order after rodents, like Casey said, they are not rodents, which does matter a, a little bit when we talk about bat conservation, but lots of different species from tiny little bumblebee bats, you know, bats that weigh less than an ounce all the way up to those big old flying foxes that Casey and I have, have mentioned. So Casey, quiz time for you, true or false, all bats use echolocation? I mean, like I would probably say yes initially, but it feels like a trick question, yeah. but, uh, I'm going to go with false. Cause they don't all eat bugs. Right. And Correct. that's probably mostly yep. for bug eating. Yep. Uh, do they yeah. use it for other things? For sure. They do use it to just navigate. I mean, okay. you don't want to fly into a tree and stuff like that if you're flying around at night. So yeah, they'll use it just for spatial awareness too. Um, and they, you know, bats will echolocate a little bit differently too, which I'm excited to talk, talk about. This was one of the things that I didn't know prior to, to researching it, but yeah, that's correct. You're not, not all bats use, use echolocation. So again, a lot of diversity, so many different species. I feel like most of the time when you say all or none, yeah. it's usually going to be false. So <laughs> like Casey said, bats do eat different things. They live in different places. They have different survival strategies. Most bats, do echolocate probably about 70% or, or so, but you know, with that, again, there are many species that don't tends to be some of those larger bats that are, are not the insect eating bats. Um, so if you're reading about bats, you will often see them divided into groups called mega bats and micro bats again with I love that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it's it seems nice and simple too, but of course with any sort of human classification system, there are things that are not great about it that puts you in mind that like all mega bats are going to be bigger than all micro bats and it, that's not necessarily true. Okay. There are some mega bats that are smaller and that sort of thing. So, you may also see people and organizations that are moving away from this type of classification, but you will see it, still see it pretty commonly. Mega bats are largely going to be those fruit bats and largely do not use echolocation, although I believe there are some species of mega bats that do. Um, and then those micro bats are going to be the insect eating bats that, you know, we see around us here in the United States and those bats do echolocate. So we've talked about, again, I mentioned echolocation was actually one of the things that uh, got called out that people like. So I wanted to dive just a little bit deeper into what echolocation actually is. And we talked a little bit about this when we talked about 
uh, noise pollution as well. But basically, echolocation is when these bats are putting out a sound that then bounce off of objects, whether that is something like an insect that's flying around or a tree or a bush or a predator or whatever. So, and then they are listening for the sound that bounces back and they're basically generating their. Uh, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, like generating an image of their surroundings, but right. they're figuring out their surroundings. They're orienting themselves from those sounds um, that they that they hear back. So that's kind of how they explore their environment, especially, you know, if you are an animal that's flying around in the dark, you know, again, it's not that you're blind, but it is dark. And so this using this sound as a tool to navigate is going to be really helpful. So they use echolocation to help them explore their environment. They are typically the sounds that bats will make, and they could do make other sounds, some sounds that we can hear, but the sounds that they'll generate when they're uh, using echolocation are typically going to be higher frequency than what we can hear with our human ears. And I learned that this is a good thing because apparently there are some species of bats that will call at levels of about 140 decibels which is a lot. Again, you, you know, we're talking like above, above rock concert levels here. Well, we, so. we established that lawnmowers are like 90 decibels and it's yeah. on a logarithmic scale. Yeah. So it's so much more than that. Wow. Okay. Yep. It's pretty incredible. I mean, like, and anything over that, like 85 decibels can be damaging, uh, at, at, uh, okay, so right. I appreciate you not deafening me. <laughs> So an interesting thing, though, that I never thought about before is that in order to be, I don't believe this is all species that, that echolocate, but for some bats, at least, in order to avoid being deafened by their own calls, bats will like shut off their hearing when, the, and it, this is like, what is this milliseconds probably that, that that this takes but they have a muscle that will contract to like to separate the three bones of their middle ear that just happens in the milliseconds before their the sound um, comes their back their larynx contracts no to let oh, they, okay. they need to hear the sound that comes back oh. so they're contracting so they don't like blast themselves when they yell right yeah. yep and then wow. it goes back together quickly enough that they hear. That and I, the first time I saw this, I was like, this isn't true. Like it was a BBC article and I'm like, BBC typically knows their stuff. But I read this and I was like, this, this can't really be a thing. So I had to look it up and find another article as well. So again, I don't believe this is all bats. I don't have all of the details. But just this is a thing that I never, how, how cool is that? That just anatomically and physiologically. There's so much out there, guys. There's so much. Nature is so cool. Nature's so cool. Yeah. This is why you should read books about animals. Cause you're going to learn so much and get super excited and want to share all your facts with all your friends. Yes. There's and your more facts. I, so, <laughs> well, there's, there's one other cool thing that I learned that I just, I didn't know about bats before when it comes to echolocation. Uh, and I initially found this on um, the Maryland Department of Natural Resources website, and I looked up some some supplemental information elsewhere too. But apparently, when it comes to bats, you have shouters and whisperers 
in regards to echolocation. So I mentioned, you know, I found that 140 decibel number that some species can get up to. So, you know, apparently you have shouters that can be up over that like 110 decibel range. So uh, big brown bats, little brown bats, which we see around here uh, are, are shouters. And then you have whispering bats that are going to echolocate more at like 60 decibels, which if you recall is about the level of normal human conversation. So just some whole polite bats out there that (laughs) echolocate more softly, but apparently, so you'll hear them just, you'll see them described sometimes as shouters and whispers. You might also see the terms like aerial hawkers versus gleaners. And so the hawkers are the shouters. So these are the louder ones. So these are the ones. (laughs) Yes. So so these are the ones that we're accustomed to seeing around here. So those insect eating bats that are going to fly around in opening open spaces and they're you know catching those bugs mid-flight and using their their echolocation to find those insects. And then there are gleaners, which I guess tend to be in more, typically more like forested environments. And they will have those softer calls and they're more using those calls, I guess, to navigate their surroundings. And the way they actually find their food is by listening for the sounds of the insects themselves. And so they're like, going through the, the, the foliage and they're eating, grabbing insects, not from the sky, but from the ground or the leaves or whatever. Cool. So they're different hunting strategies. And they, I just, I had no idea. Again, all I've ever seen are those aerial hawkers, I guess. So those shouters is, is what I knew of the insect eating bat. So this was super interesting to me. And it doesn't, it, it's also not necessarily an either or thing. So I was reading some studies about species who will do both or they can switch back and forth. So a lot more to echolocation than I realized. So for those of you who said this was one reason why you love bats, excellent choice. It's a pretty cool thing. The next thing that we're gonna talk about that people called out were a couple of things. We'll do a couple of them together. So some people mentioned their wings and some people mentioned that uniqueness of flight. So we talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to talk just a little more about how bats fly. So Casey, you already answered this question for me. I was gonna ask you if you'd you'd ever seen bats flying around. So, So what is it, what's distinctive about bat flight if you think back to where you've gotten to see them fly around? Yeah, if you're trying to compare them to a bird, birds kind of like swoop through the air Mm -hmm. in like a straight line. And bats are very like frenetic, erratic sort of behaviors. Now, I assume there's a reason for this because when I was reading Soul of an Octopus, they were talking about how they like did a study with gnats, like (laughs) G-N-A-T. And they found that they had actual patterns to their weird erratic flights. So I assume there's a reason for this. Well, that's interesting. I actually, I don't, I don't know too much about that, but yeah, you will see bats being erratic in flight. I think this is something that makes people nervous too, when they're watching them, that sort of erratic flight, we can't understand it. And I would, you know, relate it to, I'm just going to talk about all my phobias today. So, you know, I have a fear (laughs) of flying. I also have a cockroach phobia. And I think one of the things that 
I don't like specifically about cockroaches is how erratic they seem to me. So they, when they just kind of scurry every which way. So I think it freaks people out about bats a little bit, seeing them fly like that. There is also that old, old misconception about bats, you know, getting tangled in your hair and stuff like that. And I think maybe that comes from the erratic way. It looks like they fly too. So I don't know about patterns so much, but I think a big reason that they fly like that is because that's how the insects are flying too. And so I think, you know, they're using that echolocation as they're going and trying to figure out where this insect is going. And so they do look like they're flying a little more erratically because of that, just by nature of having to catch those insects. But what is interesting that I found out about how bats fly as well is even though they look so erratic and you kind of see how birds maybe seem more graceful as they fly, it some people will say, if you want to make it a competition, bats are actually superior flyers to birds, or at the very least, they are more efficient in the way that they fly. So they've actually done test studies in in wind tunnels, I guess, looking at cool. uh, oxygen consumption tests that show that bats use less energy in flight compared to insects and birds. And they're looking at things like hummingbirds and moths, you know, that are within the realm of the same size-ish as some bat species. So one of the thoughts behind this is that it has to do with bat wings and they're they're less rigid and more maneuverable if you think of how a bird wing is birds bones in their wings are more fused they don't have the same number of bones and joints whereas if you look at bats it's basically our arms and hands right and i think right. even a few more joints even that that membrane is stretched over. And so they have a lot of sort of dexterity and maneuverability uh, with those wings. So they can make more subtle adjustments to their, uh, their wing shape. And then having that stretchy, flexible membrane uh, might also help them to generate more lift while using less energy. So go bats, not only unique as flying mammals, but also apparently pretty darn good at it. Yeah. Well, let's, let's do a little exercise. Let's everybody just for a moment, if you're oh not boy. driving, you can close your eyes and imagine that your fingers are like as long as your body, maybe even longer than that. Your thumbs get to stay the same. Cause that's what you're going to use to climb around, but your four fingers on each hand are super long. And then there's thin membranes of skin. Oh, super weird, right? Like so different than us. And then it's attached to their body lower down. Oh, okay. You can come out of your bat <laughs> mode, but, but I just think that that's, that's incredible to think about just because they are mammals and they do have very similar bone structures to yeah. us. And that's something I love talking to kids about. If you've never seen a bat skeleton, Google it now. Yeah. Do it because it is again, I mean, they're so delicate looking is part of it, but yeah, it does. That was a, we'll actually post it. a really good exercise too, Casey, because okay, you can sort of cut, like imagine it a little bit, but those super long fingers. And then they do have just kind of like right at the top of their wings, they have these little thumbs that are adorable and they they, are. they'll use them to kind of they're latch like on as they're coming in. Impossibly small, impossibly <laughs> delicate. How, how do these animals yeah, exist no, no, no. without being like 
shattered by the wind. I don't understand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just falling apart. Okay. We can move on. Yeah. (laughs) No. So cool. Love it. Yes. And we'll, we'll, we'll share a bat skeleton if we can find a good image. So, all right. So there's a few things that, that we've talked about in terms of why people love bats. Of course, you know, one of the big things, and again, with my skewed, wonderful, wonderful group of friends that is, uh, is already not only pro bat, but just pro nature, pro conservation. One of the things that they, listed many people said that they loved about bats are environmental benefits so Casey what are some of those benefits what are some ways that bats help the environment well we've talked a lot about the insect eating bats so obviously we would consider them quote-unquote pest control here in the United States so eating mosquitoes but also I'm sure lots of other bugs that damage things like food items I also know that there's some species of bats that are pollinators. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I remember I had a, like a nature book when I was a kid and all these bats with like their faces full of pollen. Yeah. You think of them as giant bumblebees going from flower yep. to flower and spreading that pollen around. So that's what I know about bats. Yeah. And those are, are definitely a couple of big ones. So we'll, we'll start with pest control again, because here in the United States, that's almost all of the species of bats that we have here in the United States. So this is depending on where you're listening from around the world. This is going to be a little bit different for you, depending on where you live. But here in the United States, almost all of our species are those insectivores and they are, you know, yeah, we use the word pest loosely because we do love, of course, our insects as well, but they do help to keep those populations in check. And this is really multiple benefits in one, because if you think about, you know, the, the benefits of, of eating insects, that's going to help reduce the spread of diseases that have insects as, as vectors. And then yeah, preventing crop destruction, words. So from Bat Conservation International, like I mentioned before, it was, is a resource that I used quite a bit for this episode. They said that scientists estimate that insect eating bats may save U.S. farmers roughly $23 billion each year by reducing crop damage and, and limiting the need for pesticides. Most on average can eat up to half of their body weight in insects and pregnant or nursing mothers will consume up to 100% of their body weight each night. What a life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't want to eat bugs, but like, if, if you just love food, (laughs) right. Think about life is that. Yeah. yeah, They're small animals. So, but, but still that's pretty impressive and a $23 billion each year. So for real, thanks bats. And I think this is one of those things where it's always just sort of been like for us, this is the way it is. And you know, we, this is an almost, we don't see the benefit here. So I think we're asleep, right. People don't realize how important these animals actually are, but if we didn't have bats, I mean, can you even imagine we've talked about, you know, some of the challenge environmental challenges with agriculture industry in general, imagine if we didn't have bats, you know, how would we need to expand agricultural land use even more to to make up for, you know, what we're losing in in crop destruction and and all of that. So, or put more poison out into the the environment, like pesticides are not exclusive to the bugs that we want to kill. So the less poison we can put out there, the better we're going to be able to manage lots of other species. So the next environmental benefit that Casey mentioned is pollination. So this is 
probably another one that I think most people are familiar with, although bats probably aren't the primary animals that we think about in terms of pollination. But again, they are mammals. They do have hair. So yes, in some parts of the world, those fuzzy little bodies are going to help to pollinate certain plants. So bats, not all bats eat insects. Some bats will eat uh, nectar and pollen. And so those bats are going to help with pollination services. A couple of examples that we can see in parts of the United States, again, almost all of our bats are insectivores, but the lesser long-nosed bat and the Mexican long tongued bat are two species that will migrate up from Mexico and spend part of the year in the southwestern United States. And um, this, the Bat Conservation Trust is another organization that I referenced it for this episode. And I believe this is a, a big bat conservation organization in the UK. So according to the Bat Conservation Trust, over 500 plants depend on bats for pollination. And I thought this was an interesting list. It's including some species of mango, banana, durian, which Casey and I are familiar with, uh, <laughs> and agave, which if you are a tequila drinker, I am not. But uh, if you are, you you better love bats because agave is used to make tequila and that is a plant species that is dependent on them for pollination. Thank a bat for your banana today. That's right. And again, I don't know that that's all bananas, but some species anyway. So lots of good services there from the bats and plants that are going to be pollinated by bats are of course going to tend to be plants that flower at night. And they're actually going to be more like paler colored usually, as opposed Mm -hmm. to those bright uh, flowers that open up during the day for our other insects to pollinate. So that's really important. And then another environmental benefit that bats can provide for us that maybe at least here in the United States, we tend not to think of as much because it, it doesn't happen around here, but it's seed dispersal. So we talked about fruit bats kind of up top. So there are different species of fruit bats around the world, and they will help carry seeds from the fruits, fruits that they eat to new areas and drop those seeds with some some ready-made fertilizer. Bat guano is apparently a fantastic fertilizer. So yes, you can you buy go. it. Yeah. 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 So, you know, an interesting thing about this, uh, the, of course, there are lots of different animal species that will eat fruit and disperse seeds. But again, according to BCI, some things about these uh, f- certain fruit bats anyway, they said that night foraging fruit bats will cover large distances and they're willing to cross cleared areas, which is really important. So if they're flying through areas that have been cleared, they are defecating in flight. So they're going to be really transporting seeds for large, larger distances. And they can be really important when it comes to helping regenerate cleared areas. So way to go bats because that's something that not every species will do sometimes they'll stay closer to the area where they're finding the food and some species are not going to be willing to cross into cleared areas as well so they're helping to spread those seeds far and wide so hopefully that's a, a few good reasons to love bats and you know bats do need a little love. So right now, over 200 species of bats are considered either vulnerable, endangered, 
or critically endangered by the IUCN, and over 240 species are still listed as data deficient. So we've still got lots more to learn about these little guys. Um, and right here, home for us, where Casey and I are in, in Indiana, we actually have 13 species of bats that you can find in the state. Three of them are very rare. A couple of those species haven't been seen uh, since the 60s or 70s, but all but one of those 13 species that we can find here in Indiana is listed as either of special concern in our state or state endangered within the state of Indiana. Wow. 12 of our 13 bats. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So bats. All right. They do need our love bats for need sure. Our love. Yeah. What can we do to help bats, Sarah? So, well, let's, let's talk about some of those th things that are facing them like what what are what are what are the threats and then we can talk about some of the things that we can do about it so of course with almost any species that you you could name habitat destruction is part of it now this could be both overwintering or summer habitat so again depending on where you are here in the, the midwest where we have cold winters obviously our insect eating bats aren't gonna be around uh, all year long so some bats will migrate other bats will hibernate over winter. So if they're hibernating uh, in caves, disruption of those caves during their hibernation period can be extremely de detrimental to them. It sounds like basically if they're disturbed, they're just going to wake up. And again, these are very small animals. They're basically just going to burn off all of their energy reserves if they're disturbed during hibernation. So stay out of caves if you're not supposed to be in them. Um, and then also just dis disruption of summer homes. So timber industry, agriculture industry, mining industry, uh, all of those things can take away bat roosting spots. You've probably at some point heard about uh, white nose syndrome. And um, so this is not necessarily a, a human caused thing per se, but this is if you're if you're not familiar, white nose syndrome is a fungal disease and it's killed millions of bats at this point across North America. So that's, that's something that bat conservation organizations, scientists are still working to kind of research and learn more about. It does seem to impact certain species more than others. And so they're kind of still learning about what those, what factors into that, why some bats are, are affected more than others and looking at treatments for that as well. Persecution also, sometimes people just kill bats. And, you know, I think sometimes that this, this is due to those, you know, misconceptions that we've talked about and just different fears that people have about bats. So a couple more of those that I want to touch on here that might make people more inclined to not be fond of bats. One is vampire bats. Vampire bats are a real thing. But what I will say is of the over 1400 species of bats, there are three species of vampire bats. So most bats and any bat that you see here in the United States is not going to be a, a vampire bat. Uh, also, the, these bats often feed on livestock. So it's not something that people need to be overly concerned about. They're also not going to like kill and drain right. your blood. Yes. They're tiny little animals. They get blood drunk pretty quick. On, they're they're on not going to turn yeah. you into Dracula. Right. So, um, so that's, you know, one thing that they're real, but you don't have to be worried. Uh, rabies is another thing. And I think, you know, there's some misconception that if you see a bat, it's got rabies. And that's also not true. Bats are mammals. Bats can carry rabies. 
here in the United States, they are the the number one uh, cause, I guess, of, of human cases of rabies, which are exceedingly rare. Um, and the reason really that bats have been brought to the forefront is because we've had been so successful with having uh, vaccinations for dogs and things like that. So worldwide, I do believe that dogs are still the number one cause of, of human cases of rabies. That's just not the case here in the United States. So bats get a little more attention, but even with sick bats, and of course, if you ever see a bat uh, acting abnormally, you know, bats out in the daytime, that sort of thing, you don't want to approach it. But even with sick bats that were submitted for testing, only about 6% of those noticeably sick bats tested positive for rabies, according to the, the CDC. And within the bat population as a whole, I believe it's something like 0.5% that would have rabies. So bats are not some mega increased rabies risk or anything like that. Just as with any other wild species, if you see a bat, just don't try to handle it or anything like that. Be responsible with your interactions with bats. And then I do just want to mention too quickly that again, you know, d depending on, on where you're from, you know, sometimes bats are actually hunted for food and this deserves its own time. I'm not going to go deep uh, into this today, but given the way the world is right now, you know, this is something that's come up with circumstances surrounding COVID-19. So what I want to say about that is, first of all, we don't know the exact source of COVID-19, but second of all, this is, this is not an isolated issue where any sort of blame should be placed on bats or any specific country or people or anything like that. Diseases coming from animals is going to continue to be a thing and is going to continue to, to be, uh, the problem is going to continue to increase the more that we continue to encroach on animals' spaces. So not anything to villainize bats about, a really good reminder that we need to be thoughtful about our interactions with wildlife and make sure that we are providing proper resources, proper education. We hunt wildlife right here in the United States. So this is not something that we need to be, you know, thinking about judging other cultures. So I did just want to mention that given the, the state that we're in as well. There are some great resources out there. Bat Conservation International actually has a little header on their website where you can learn more about bats and COVID-19. I also really liked an article that the Association of Zoos and Aquariums put out about preventing pandemics and talking about wildlife connections. And they had a, a quote from it that I really liked that said, basically, you can't go into solving global problems with only being sensitive to your own culture. So just something to keep in mind, something that I felt like needed to be mentioned if we were going to talk about bats tonight. Uh, but again, there's a lot of nuance there and, and more we can talk about potentially in future episodes too. Yeah, definitely important thing to bring up. And bats can be vectors for actually lots of different mm -hmm. types of diseases, including things like Ebola. So it's important that we are careful with our interactions, but also it can happen to anyone and especially can happen in places where there's lots of wild area left. We got rid of a lot of our wild area. So a lot of those diseases are, don't have as much of a hold here, um, but be responsible with your interactions. If you've got one in your house, like call somebody, <laughs> um, do your best not to, to be touching these kinds of animals yeah. um, and admiring from afar. 
but it looks like we've got even more things that threaten bats, right? I have two more things. One big one, again, that you could tie into almost any species out there is, is climate change. So we've talked a little bit about that on episodes in the past. Climate change is going to impact different bat species differently, depending on their habitat, where they live. Some specific things that BCI had mentioned um, was flying foxes in Australia being impacted by heat waves, bats in, that live on island habitats being threatened by an increase in, in severe storms, bats in arid regions uh, struggling due to droughts that's actually impacting their reproductive success. I mentioned earlier there being a conservation reason that's important to realize that bats are not rodents. Typically, when we think about rodents, we think about a pretty high reproductive rate. Bats actually have a pretty low reproductive rate for an animal their size. So there are lots of species of bats that might only have one baby a year. They're um, really good at bombs. It's cute. They are. Yeah. Um, and some some might have a couple, you know, some might have a few years. So it, it totally depends on the species, but generally. The, the group of bats has a lower reproductive rate than what you might think. And slower reproductive rates are often harder in terms of conservation, because again, anything that impacts their population is going to take them that much longer to, to recover from. Um, so that's a big thing to keep in mind. That climate change can impact bats that migrate as well, because it can affect the timing that certain resources are going to be available. So as they're migrating, they might not have access to the, sa the same food resources that they're used to which is going to make it harder for them to, to make that trip. So just something to think about with bats. And again, you know, we've talked about climate change and our carbon footprints and that sort of thing can impact uh, and can, can have a benefit for uh, this group of animals too, if we're doing our part. Um, and then an interesting one too, that it can be a threat to them is wind energy. So if you've seen big wind turbines, there are some issues with bats colliding with these turbines that again seems to affect migrating bats in particular. Now, this is not something where bat conservationists are coming out and saying, do away with wind energy, it's not good. But they are working on researching what exactly is causing this what's keeping the bats from being able to avoid these turbines, basically. And so it is something that we're working on, hopefully improving in the future. So lots of different things uh, and, you know, lots of different things that we can do. I kind of talked about them a little bit as we went along, but some things that we can do are being responsible with our resources. Again, habitat destruction, things like timber, agriculture, things that we've talked about on episodes in the past, looking for wooden paper products that are sourced sustainably can impact the bat populations as well. Being thoughtful about the food that we're eating, reducing our food waste. We talked about beef last week, you know, so be, just being responsible, being mindful about the resources that we're using bats are losing some of their summer habitat, right? Due to this, this habitat loss for whatever reason. If you've got bats in your area, research, look into putting up a bat box. Is that something you could do? That's on my list of things. I very, very badly want to get a bat box up in my house. And then you get to see them come out every evening uh, and, and come back to, to that, that bat box. So that's one thing that we can do is create some, some bat habitat in our own backyards. And then be bat advocates as well. Again, we titled this 
episode, why we love bats. And so we want other people to love bats too. So spread the good word uh, about bats and all they can do for us. So if none of that has worked to make you love bats, I do just want to talk about a few specific species before we go. And Casey, you you may have sort of already answered this question earlier too, but do you have a favorite bat species? Kind of. Okay. So I I love flying foxes. I think they're super Mm -hmm. cool looking. I don't know if they're my favorite bat, but I just want everyone to Google them. Okay. The hammerhead bat. I'm doing it right now. Please Google this bat. It is absurd looking. It has the funniest nose. It's so silly. And I just want everyone to know they exist. That these like werewolves of the sky exist out there in the best way possible. Yeah. This is an African species. It is. Yes. I believe they are connected to Ebola. They think they might be a reservoir. And that's, I think, where I discovered that they exist. This is so cool. Their eyes are really fascinating to me because they've got kind of really giant eyes compared to lots of other bats. They look like a not real animal. Right? They look like a cartoon wolf to me, like cartoon boy wolf with like a big nose, you know? So you know it's a boy. That's what they look like to me. That's amazing. So I don't know if they're my favorite species because I don't know that much about them, but I need everyone to know they exist. Yeah. No, I I love it. And that's exactly what I mean too. So yeah, I don't necessarily have a favorite species but I just pulled out basically every single species though Casey you know joke that I looked up as I was reading or that I came across Uh, yeah every (laughs) single one Uh, so guys just bats they're so cool so one of the the species that I remembered from a few years ago and and I've talked more than once already that I I love everything Star Wars so there's a bat that was referred to for a while or was nicknamed the Yoda bat it's very cute it's pretty cute. I don't really see the Yoda it resemblance, like honestly, Yoda. but I'll take it. And you, I think it's just maybe the angle of the ears and maybe the nose shape a little bit. I want I it don't to know. talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was nicknamed the Yoda bat. Um, so this, uh, it was in the news a few years ago now where it was one of those where it was sort of recently declared its own species even though it was known just through testing and everything was declared it's declared its own species so um its actual name and I apologize if I'm saying it wrong but it's the Hamamas fruit bat I believe the name comes from this was a, a bat that lives in Papua New Guinea and so this is the Papuan word for happy is where the name comes from because Cute. he's got kind of a broad face that sort of makes it look like it's I smiling a little it. bit. So you can look up the Yoda bat and see what you think about that one. That's kind of a fun species. I, I kind of like the like the official name comes from the Papuan word. Yeah. I just kind of like the happy no. bat, like the happy yeah. fruit bat. That should be its name. The happy fruit bat. The well, I mean, it bat. is basically. Yeah, but in uh, English too. They don't need Yoda in it. So, yes. well, I mean, I think that... The thing that I like, I mean, Tugs joking aside, Sarah's, I yeah. do, I do love Star Wars, but I think those sorts of things can sometimes it's relate true. to people, you know. Yeah. So if you're not a Bat fan, but you're a Star Wars fan, that still might come across your radar, and so that might help bring some new people onto the 
all aboard the bat train here. So I do like things like that for that reason, but I do really love the official name too. So, so the next one that I decided to list here uh, is one that I was not familiar with, but again, sort of plays in Casey's face right now. Uh, sort of plays into just a thing that I thought about bats. Casey mentioned, you know, how, how cool it is that bats hang upside down, which I didn't even talk about tonight. So many cool things we could have talked about, but apparently not all bat species hang upside down because the Spix disc-winged bat has like suction cup things like at the base of those little adorable thumbs that Casey Whoa. and I were talking about earlier and at their an ankles that allows them to hang on flat surfaces. And they're not the only species that can do this. There are multiple species of disc-winged bat. But what I got from reading this is this Spix disc-winged bat not only do they have these little suction, cup, suction cups, but they will hang right side up. And guys, Don't know they're why. So, they're so fluffy. They're so fluffy. They're so fluffy. <laughs> so they're in this little like, tube leaf thing in this photo that I have. And they are just precious and adorable. And you can see their little suction cup things. God bless you, little, little <laughs> disc winged bats. Good for you. Disc-wing, disc-winged bat. It. That's, That's a tough to one. Say. Yeah. Um, What's next? The next one, I think I have two more. So okay. guys, sorry, I know that you're just hearing us describe these things. Hopefully you can look up pictures. Maybe we'll get to, to post in some too for you. Um, but the next one that I just came across might be my favorite picture. Oh, it's Please so precious. Please appreciate the Tell California, the California leaf nosed bat. And the reason that, that I came across the profile of this one is that I guess this is the only bat, and we love things that are unique in the United States, that has both those large ears, guys, this bat, ginormous ears, and a nose leaf. So I didn't talk about this with echolocation. Many bat species will produce their echolocation noises through the mouth, but you have these bats and, you know, multiple species of of leaf-nosed bats that have these more, it's hard to see in that picture, Casey, you have to kind of get up close, but you no, can see. No, I, I can see it. And honestly, triangle nose thing. honestly, if I'm talking about personal preferencing as there's over a thousand bat species, no, I love this one, but okay. the, the leaf noses in general can be a little, like it's so Sometimes. different from so Sometimes. many other animals out there. And so it's like a little shocking. Yeah. And this one has like, this is a little cute yeah, little bump on it. It's just a little triangle. It's just a little triangle. And um, his ears are so big. His ears are so big. Like a little fennec fox of the bat world. Yes. I love it. What a, that's I was excellent. about to say a bat-eared fox of the bat world, which is <laughs> silly. A fennec fox of the bat world. <laughs> Uh, but the nose-leafed bats, they echolocate. Actually, they produce those sounds through their nose. So that's the purpose, what? I guess, oh. of the nose-leaf. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, guys, California leaf-nosed bat. Cutest, cutest thing. Okay, and then I would be remiss uh, if I didn't mention, again, we're here in Indiana, there is actually 
an Indiana bat, which sometimes makes it hard to learn about bats in Indiana, because if you Google any combination of those words, you're just getting a whole bunch of information about the Indiana bat. So worth mentioning, though, this, I, I mentioned that the 12 of our 13 bat species in the state are, are state endangered uh, within Indiana, but the Indiana bat is actually both state and federally listed as an endangered species. So they need our help. Um, this bat species was named because they were first described from a specimen found in the, the Wyandotte cave in Southern Indiana. Not familiar with it, kind of want to go. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. But apparently this, the Indiana bat, this species does hibernate over the winter, but they'll hibernate in really big groups within a small number of caves. So they are very vulnerable to human disturbance. These um, are like the little like dust balls of the sky. They're like, precious and adorable. They are precious, adorable, little, little, just the lint in your dryer <laughs> just became alive and I wanted to- know. Wanted That's to snuggle adorable. together with other lint from the dryer with a little smile on its face. That's, I don't know, anthropomorphized lint is cute to me, I guess. <laughs> This is all positive <laughs> feedback for these bats. And they are really cute. <laughs> so again, those were just sort of, I could have, please, I could have talked for three hours about bats tonight, but we won't do that to you. So those were just a few. Hopefully that just gives you a little taste of some of the amazingness of bats. I hope it did anyway. We love bats. We hope you love bats too. And we'll come back in just a little bit with your actions for Welcome back, everybody. We hope you loved learning about bats tonight. And I've got a couple of actions for you that will hopefully help you love the bats around you even more. So your first action, your, what are we even calling it? Your normal action? Your, your standard challenge your, for the your week. Your standard challenge for the week <laughs> is to find your bats. So I, I just shared a couple of random bat species profiles with you. We talked a little bit about some of the bats that we have here in Indiana. So look it up, see what species of bats you have living near you. And then see if you can go find them for real. So spend some time outside uh, right around sunset. See if you can spot any of these guys flying around. I think, you know, sometimes to, to maybe Casey's point at the beginning, we get fascinated with animals that we feel like we don't always see or that seem a little more rare. Bats really aren't that rare. We just don't see their worlds very often. They're just not one that we tend to get to experience. So I think we have to just look a little harder for them. So find your bats, learn about them, and then see if you can actually spot them out there. I hope you can. I hope it's exciting for you as it is still for me. Every time I see mine, I'm going to go out. blurry video yeah. of, <laughs> of a dot erratically going through the sky. That is what I do. I've posted many, <laughs> yes, many blurry erratic flying dots on Instagram. I wish that I had a better way to capture them. I've done some slow-mo videos as well, but it's, it's really hard to, to capture them. Yeah. If you want to go one step further, your beast mode challenge. I can't do it. Your beast mode. 
Thanks, Casey. I don't know if that was good. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> it's to take an action to support fat conservation. And again, I left this pretty general so that you could see what you could do and what works for you. Maybe in your area, there are some volunteer projects to assist with bat monitoring or something like that. Maybe you're like me and you nerd out over bat conservation organizations and you can support some bat conservation work like Bat Conservation International, or I already forget, I apologize. I think it's the Bat Conservation Trust in the UK. Put up a bat box if you can. This has been on my list of things to do for quite a while. I will say, that it can be a little bit tricky to do it well, uh, but Bat Conservation International has some great resources. And again, this it is, it is international. Um, so they have some great resources about bat box specifications, colors, how you should hang them, where you should hang them, what direction they should face and all of that. So they're a good source um, if you are interested in that. You know, or you can also think about things like reducing your pesticide use, that sort of thing. So see if you can come up with something that you can do to be a bat conservation hero. And as always, tell us about it. Tag us on social media, email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. And if you like what you're hearing, you should smash that subscribe button. That's right, Josh. If you're listening, we're back to smashing the button, not smash just it. gently, gently touching. No, smash that subscribe. <laughs> Tell your friends, share it if you're interested. But yeah, we appreciate your guys' support and we're having lots of fun. And thanks, Sarah, for an excellent episode 10. Episode 10. Woo! How long do you think we'll just celebrate every milestone? Uh, hopefully as long Forever. as we do this because we're doing it for fun. Anyway, I hope you guys have a great week. Thank you, Sarah, so much for sharing. Thanks for joining me as always. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.